The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award-winning manufacturer of factory-built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A-rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineer's fees. Please get in touch for reviewing of our show homes a brochure or for more information let brb homes take the stress out of your build check out brbhomes.ie everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule and of course the cost well better help can solve those problems it's totally online and built around your schedule it's surprisingly affordable too Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast and this week we are coming to you live from Ballina with the one and only Tara Rafter. Hello Tara. Hi. How are you? Good. So tell us where we are here. We are on Barrett Street on the banks of the River Moy in Ballina. And this is your, do you call this your office or your shop? I call it the Bat Cave. The Bat Cave. <laughs> yeah, it smells lovely. You. What's that smell? That is one of the diffuser blends that I worked with um, Cotanical on. So that one's called Water. It's fab. I tell you, a man would lose the run of himself. <laughs> Smelling that. I could do it a few bottles of that around the house. So you, that's one of your products, is it? That's one of my products, yeah. Okay, so let's, let's come back to the very start. Tara, wh- how would you describe yourself? What's your, what's your job? What is my job? Um, so I am a coach, but I entered into this world I suppose late um in life I didn't go back and train to to do all the coaching stuff until I was about 35. What do you coach? People yeah so we work on life business career fears belief systems values um I often say I'm hired by people who kind of feel lost or at a crossroads uh in the coaching world I'm known as the navigation coach and I'm often asked, you know, from a branding perspective, like, where did that come from, the compass? And honest to God, it's because I was lost. <laughs> and I needed someone or something to help me find the way. So, yeah, usually people come to me and they'll say things like, I feel totally lost or I'm in a fog or I'm stuck or there'll be some sort of lack of direction. Um, and then we work on where they would like to be in their life, whatever that looks like or feels like or sounds like. And the most time I spend in a session is on the obstacles. So what's blocking them from getting to where they want to be? 
Um, and like I said, that can be a vast amount of things. It's completely fascinating. What age are you? 41. Are you? Yeah. Wow. Were you going to say 96? No. no God <laughs> almighty, you look so young. Thanks. What's the secret? You're far back from me. Sniffing this old water stuff. <laughs> All day, every day. Is that your secret? I think I come from good genes. Oh, I'm wow. always told I come from good genes. You must get that a lot though, do you? Yeah. Yeah, my brother is the same actually. He's six years older. And like he... you don't even look 30. Ah, Jesus. Can you come in more often? <laughs> no, but you don't though. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah. God almighty. And how long have you been, been at the old coaching crack? I trained back in 2017. Um, that was when the, the journey began. And I trained with the Irish Life Coach Institute. I'm always asked where I trained. Um, highly recommend they were incredible okay. and yeah that was when the journey the navigation coach was born in 2017 and let's go back to your early years then how many is in your family myself my brother who's six years older and my mom and dad that's interesting because there's seven years between me and my brother is there yeah class so you didn't really hang out together growing no, up no I was the thorn in his side yeah the dose <laughs> And you, like, did you want to hang out with him? Well, kind of. <laughs> you, you were going to say no. <laughs> I was going to say no, but I was like, he'll totally listen. But I did because he's cool. Like, he's a very cool person. But, um, like, he's a drummer in a band. Oh, Shameless right. plug. Gorilla Radio, if anyone's looking for Oh, I know. Oh, I've, I've heard of them. They're savage. Yeah. They are savage. Yeah, their drummer now is a bit weak. <laughs> apart from that. But he was always the cool person. Like, literally, he could turn his hand to anything when we were small. You know, if he picked up a a snooker cue like he was unreal and you know he he was just one of these people that oh, everyone wanted to be around I hate those type of people I know so do I <laughs> and I was the little sickener small sister who'd be like look at me I'm Shawnee's sister um right. so yeah we got a lot closer in later years yeah but definitely in the teenage years he was allergic like it's very similar to me and Stephen like, was it because he was the older brother and I was going into secondary school and he was coming out of secondary school yeah and then he was getting cars and he was getting into cars and he had his first car and then he was doing them up and I kind of wanted, they were heading off on spins and I wanted to go on spins, but yeah. sure, he didn't want anything to do with me. No. But then when his kids came along, uh, we got a lot closer. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. His, his daughter, Holly, then is my goddaughter. So Aww. I think then from then on, we got very close and we're best of friends now. It's amazing how it changes over the years, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like your relationship. We killed each other. Oh, like. we were the same. Yeah. He hated the sight of me. Like. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's like, this is my sister. Okay. <laughs> he was out for the tea today. Uh, where did you go to school? I went to school in Behi National School. Where's that? Um, it's just out the road from here, about 10 or 15 minutes. It's a small little country school. and How many would have been in that? Oh, do you know, it was small. In our class, there was probably maybe 15 or 20 kids. Wow. Yeah, it was a small school. Did you have to wear slippers? Yeah. Yeah. What was that about? I don't know, the carpets obviously cost a fortune <laughs> and they were trying to keep them. And I remember when we were small, like we were skint, like I've talked about this openly before. And um, I remember having slippers a couple of times, you know, those, you get them out of... The pennies ones, they're like well, little what, pumps. Yeah, tilers or, or whatever it used oh, to be called. Yes. It used to be up there in, in Balna. Yeah, and there was a big huge basket of them and you had yeah, to go rummaging for the size. <laughs> they were cat-like, yeah. they looked just cat. But so many times I remember having holes in the slippers. And I used to be trying to cross my legs under the table, hoping that no one would see them because you'd be jibed to death. And uh, did you have any posh kids that had runners as slippers? Oh, God, yeah. And yeah. you know the ones that have, like, they'd have... What a dose. Kit Kats in their lunchbox. Yeah. Or, like, salad sandwiches on a Tuesday. And we had an old four-week-old mandarin. I know. 
I didn't even quest- get a mandarin. You were living the dream. Oh, yeah. That was questionable. <laughs> oh, stop. We used to have the same burner bread <laughs> wrapped in the same burner bread packet. And, oh, Jesus, yeah. And I, the only day you'd have a decent lunch was a Friday if the shopping got done on a Thursday. But my yeah. brother would eat everything on a Thursday. So, do you know what I mean? I used to have jam sandwiches. So did we. And I'd fling them out into the ditch on the way home. Did you? Oh, yeah. Why eat them? Would you not eat them? I'd <laughs> <laughs> be <laughs> starved. There was a, lot, there was a no. lot of happy foxes in Smoogra. <laughs> It's so funny And I still remember The people that would have Like the really good stuff In their lunch boxes And then they're the ones then That were going on holidays To like Spain Oh my god And we were going to Westport House Yeah Not that there's anything wrong With Westport House Westport House That would have been luxury I think we were brought to Kalala Dump once on a ski tour (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you And the water treatment factory And the smell of you know yourself yeah that's that was our tours like that i i spoke about this before about somebody in my school and there was a posh roisin or whatever <laughs> i was calling her and i've often met so many people from my class and they're coming up to me saying alan tell us who was posh roisin oh stop yeah oh my god no i'd never disclose it no <laughs> and actually i think posh roisin herself asked me stop it yeah <laughs> and she didn't know it was her I was like, Jesus, I don't know I would just oh, yeah. made that up it was oh, you oh my god you I always know. went to Spain on holidays and we were stuck here in the trenches <laughs> when you're small though you do look at those people like I remember the ones that had the deadly pencil cases and they'd have you know all the matching colours and the pencils and I'd be yeah. <laughs> looking over in just sheer Oh, just oh, yeah how did they get themselves to this place in their lives like do you know it was a different world. It's it so sure funny. was. I know. So where did you go to secondary school? In St. Mary's in the convent here in Balna. An all-girls school? All-girls, yeah. What was that like? It was sound. I remember I was awful quiet. Um, awful quiet at the beginning. Like, it's so funny when I do the work that I do now. Sometimes it involves speaking to large groups on stages and stuff. And anyone that would have known me kind of in primary school and secondary school are like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? So I was really quiet up until about transition year. And um, we did a, they do a musical every year. And one of the things I did was pushed myself outside the comfort zone and I auditioned for it and got a part. And it transformed everything like. But that's really tough. How did you, how did you push yourself in TY? I love music. Like it was, I was only saying it on Instagram before we came on. I love music and I'd always be singing in the car and, you know, singing around the house and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I knew it was my one chance. I knew if I didn't do it in transition year, it was going to be this one thing that I would have looked back at and completely regretted it. So I remember doing the auditions and I was absolutely bricking it. And I remember you get callbacks and I got called back and I got called back again. And I remember thinking... Oh my God. It was nuts. I was one of the Von Trapps out of The Sound of Music. Oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's class. Is yeah. it? Yeah, class. So that's a fairly lead role then. Um, yeah, I was one of the seven children. Yeah, so I had a couple of lines on my own. It was, yeah, it was huge. But I remembered the feeling that I had. And, you know, sometimes you're, especially in the coaching world, like you're asked the question, um, if you could do any job in the world and not need to be trained and you could just rock up and do it. I always said the West End. I would have loved to have done something in the West End. And I would listen to musicals and I've been to see The Phantom of the Opera and Wicked and stuff like that. And I, I just sit there in awe. It's just astounding. Do you think, was it easier doing it in an all-girls school? Oh, probably, yeah. But I, they, they had, um, I know for some of the musicals, they brought lads in from other schools that could sing. Oh, right. Yeah, and they were a part of it as well. But 
And they probably would have ripped us apart. I'd were say. you in the cool gang? A million percent, no. No, was no. there a cool gang? Of course there was. There's a cool gang in every school. What? So were you in a gang at all? I was, but we were kind of quiet. Um, I was always on the outside. Definitely always the quiet one. And then, so you came out of your shell then in TY, did you? Came out of my shell, but still kind of stayed in my same group of friends. Um, I just began to find myself a little bit more, I think. And when did you start then interacting with boys? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> when did I start? I had my first boyfriend when I was around 14, I think. That was early. Yeah. Jeez, you were confident enough. He was a lovely lad. But like we were in a group of friends in the estate that I was from and kind of everyone, we all paired off. Everyone had one boyfriend with a yeah. group of lads. Yeah. Yeah, he was a lovely lad. Where is he now? Um, He's still in Balna. Do you see him around? I would see him around, yeah. Yeah. I was only thinking about this the last day, actually. Yeah. Somebody asked me about my first shift and I was thinking about it. Oh, and I, I was trying to think, geez, I can't really remember. And then it hit me. My first shift was in a forest. Stop. With a girl, right? <laughs> and I went into the forest and I shifted her. And when I came out, she told me if I ever told anyone, she'd kill me. Stop! Yeah, until this day, I've Such never... Such a belt to I, the ego! I've never told anyone. <laughs> oh my, am I the first person to hear about it? No, I, I've told people it happened, but I, I've never... Which is not who she was. No, Was no. it Posh Roshin? No. <laughs> <laughs> Posh, Can you imagine? Posh Roisin was too tall for me. Oh now my this, god. This one as well, yes. Yeah, so you I could have stood in a tree stump or something. I was in the forest getting the shift thinking, I'm the man. Oh and then 30 seconds into it, she goes, right, that's all you're getting. If you tell anyone about this, I'll kill you. Oh my god. So she heads off she out of the like forest. She was like Liam Neeson, I have a certain set and of skills. She took in the forest then, talking to an old fern then for the next half <laughs> an hour. Heartbroken. <laughs> I don't know. I think I was delighted. I didn't really shy about telling anyone. <laughs> You just knew what happened. Yeah. Oh my God. I got the shift and that's all that it's matters. It's like a rite of passage, isn't it? It's so <laughs> funny. It's just, oh Jesus, when you think back to some of them days, you just squirm in I your know. skin. You're like, oh my God. So did you finish school? I did. Did my leaving cert. And <clears throat> at that time, there was a lot of stuff happening at home at that time. Right. Um, so mom and dad were just in the middle of a, a separation when I was doing my leaving search. So there was, yeah, there was a lot happening at home. Um, and I can remember the the kind of pressure, I suppose, of supposing you're supposed to know what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Like, and <clears throat> I hadn't a clue what tomorrow held, do you know? So, yeah, I remember that chapter so clearly. And I remember finishing the leaving search and walking up the steps in the convent. There's a, anyone from Balnall know, there's a big load of steps at the back of the school. And I remember um, Sister Attracta was the principal at the time. And at that stage, you didn't log on to anything. Like, you literally had to open an envelope and look at your results. And I can still see her standing in front of me. And I remember coming out the door and sitting down and trying to calculate out the points. Um, My heart was pounding because for me, I knew the situation that I was in at home. And I knew the life that we had had. And yeah, education was always going to be the way up and out of what I had experienced. So it, it meant a lot. That envelope meant a lot. And yeah, from that, I, I made the decision to go on to college. I remember telling mom I was going to go to college and like she was frying chops on the pan. And I remember her crying because not because she was so excited, because she said to me, Tara, there's no way I can help you do it. Like, um, <clears throat> so I was working in Duns and I transferred to the Swan Centre in Rat Mines and worked nights and went to college in Dublin and started my honours degree in business. 
Yeah, it was class. Wow. It, yeah, it was deadly. And do you mind me asking why were things so difficult then at home? Yeah, dad was an alcoholic. Um, and it's funny, you know, like, I suppose as I've learned and trained and just grown as a person, I can separate the pain from the person now. And I know some people that have lived in homes where there were where there was addiction find that a, a very powerful sentence is what I've been told a few times. But I can, like I can see now, he thought, you know, that the answer was going to be in the bottom of a bottle or the bottom of a glass. And so much of it came from his childhood and, and the stuff that he had been through and the way that he was parented and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And addiction is any movement away from a bad feeling toward a good feeling. But it, for him, it was a spiral. Um, yeah, so dad would have binge drank a lot. And the, the saddest part about it is <clears throat> he was the coolest man in the whole world when he was sober. Like, the coolest man. But like man would often have described it as Jekyll and Hyde. You were dealing with a very different animal when he started drinking. And the binges would last for a long time. And financially, I suppose, as a family, we would have suffered the consequences of that. You didn't know where it was going to go or what it was going to lead to. And the other side of it was dad had an awful temper and domestic violence sadly was something that was a regular occurrence in the house during the the binges so yeah by the time I was 18 um poor old ma'am like I remember she always said it was like you know that U2 song with or without you she couldn't live with them but she couldn't live without them so they separated and they stayed the best of friends and they were better apart than they ever were together like um so there was a lot there was a lot happening for like that 17, 18 year old Tara. And I sometimes look back at her in my head, you know, and I kind of hang out with her at the odd time. Like she was a great bit of stuff, you know, for all that she came through and all that she held. And she was still so young. Do you know, it was incredible to, to see what I came through. Did you feel very responsible growing up? Yeah, from a very young age. It's very hard to <clears throat> let that go. Yeah. And not be responsible. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. And how did you, how did you do that? Um, through a lot of therapy, <laughs> um, I'd be a huge advocate of, of talk therapy in the form of counselling and psychotherapy. But back then, that w- was unheard of. Therapy back then, was it was drink a cup of tea there and get on with it. Yeah, do you know, my mother was one of the cornerstones of my life. Mam left school when she was 14 and she was one of the wisest people I've ever met. Um, she always had the right answer and sometimes the answer was no answer. You know, that she'd just sit and listen to you. But she was my sounding board and she, her outlook on life was something that I will carry with me forever. Like, no matter how bad it was, she found a way to laugh. Like, she was great crack, like, and she always found a way that you'd be breaking your heart laughing, you know, out the other side of vast amounts of pain. And for some, for sometimes it was, you know, to hold pride and keep the, the face and keep the show on the road. But she just had this deadly outlook and um, I definitely learned to frame a lot of the world through the lens that she created for us as kids. She was deadly, like, she really was. And where did that come from? How did she get, how was she so positive when things were so hard at home? She came from a family of 10 um, and they lived in Castlebar and I didn't ever get to meet my granny or granddad, but I have heard deadly stories about them and I believe 
in you know the, the lineage and the generations that came before me I, I think that was just the way they did life like they, really they say, built her up like yeah, yeah you view the world through two lenses one of them is fear and the other one is love and for a lot of of the situations that we were in ma'am just always led with love and it changed the situation that you were in and when they separated then how did your dad get on after that we found a diary actually it was mad um a few years after he died and on the on the calendar on the day that we left there was a a circle around the date and he had just written in a black day nothing else that was all he'd written in yourself and and your mum left the house that day we left yeah where did you go? We found a rental accommodation here in Balna. Um, I still remember opening the pages of the Western People when it was a big, massive broadsheet. And yeah, we made the decision that we had to go. And what age were you at this stage? 18. Wow. Yeah, 17, 18. Um, and she was terrified. You know, I knew for her that she had probably waited all those years because we were small. And she had to do what she had to do, like. And yeah, it was... It was a huge thing for him. But in the same regard, um, it was a great thing for the two of them. Like dad put up the curtain poles in our house and in, in our rental house and put up shelves and they'd meet for the tea. and they'd, Lovely. Yeah, they got on better apart than they ever did together. When she said she was moving out, was there a big explosion <clears throat> or how did that go down? Yeah. Do you remember? I do remember. Yeah. We didn't tell him. Um, because of the circumstances let's just say it would have been very turbulent if we had said it so yeah we left on a Friday morning I can still remember the rain was bouncing off the road outside and one of the neighbours brought us and we had been moving our clothes out in black bags um, in the middle of the night over the week beforehand so that he wouldn't find out because it wouldn't have gone down well and um, yeah she took the plant off the kitchen window and two teaspoons out of the drawer because we knew we'd be able to make a cup of tea and she loved that plant <laughs> and uh, yeah that was it we sat into the back of the neighbour's car and I remember the neighbour didn't know what was happening she just thought she was dropping us somewhere giving you a lift and she was heartbroken over it she's you know she was a, a big part of our childhoods like um, so yeah I do I remember it and I remember the smell of the house when I walked in I think scent has such a huge impact on us and I can still remember the smell in that rental house it was like a damp kind of a dodgy smell. Yeah. Um, and I remember Mam walked in and she just stood and put her two hands on the worktop and she turned on the kettle and she said to me, right, new chapter, here we go. <laughs> I can still remember it so clearly. And yeah, it was, it was a transforming moment for her from an independence perspective and for me to see the strength that she had um, and for the two of them as a couple. It changed them. And there was no mobile phones really back then. No. So what what happened then? Or how did... <clears throat> he came home and realised you're gone. Yeah. And had no idea where you were gone. No. And can you remember how did he find you then? Or what, what was yeah, the next Yeah, it, it was as turbulent as I imagined that it would be. It ended up in barren orders and all of these kind of things needing to be taken out for a while. Um, and then the dust settled and he came to terms with her decision. And um, yeah, they became the best of friends like... You know, they really did. Yeah. When he was drinking, we didn't see him. Like I'd know when he was drinking, he'd vanish. But when he wasn't, he was brilliant. He was the coolest man. He was a boxer. Um, He was an incredible boxer. And like he used to bring us, I remember being brought to the the boxing club there as you're coming in the downhill road in Balna. 
it's all ivy growing up over the side of the building. And I remember being brought in there when he would have been training and he would have been teaching, you know, young lads. And I can still remember the sound of the skipping ropes. And every time the, the, the skipping rope would hit the wooden floor, the dust would rise. And I remember having to lean up on my tippy toes to try to look into the ring. But he was a phenomenal athlete. Dad had the most incredible dedication and, you know, determination and consistency. I remember watching him train. Like he was one of the best fighters in Balna. He was incredible. He won so many trophies and so many medals. And But drink, sadly, he thought it was going to be the answer to his problems, but it was the, the opposite. And were, so you headed off to college then? Yeah. And you left your mum on her own then in the new house? Yeah. And how did that go down? How, how did she take that? She missed me, but she understood. Like, I remember explaining to her that I had to make a better life for her. And it was funny, like, at that age, I had so much wisdom. Like, I remember saying to her, ma'am, if I'm ever lucky enough to have a little me, like, to, have, to be someone's mother, I, I need to make a better life for them than what we had. I remember her working four and five jobs, you know, at different times just to keep the show on the road. And she understood. Like, she was brilliant, you know, and... I moved to Dublin that time and like I said I was packing shelves at night and duns and I got home I think a couple of times during the year you get the train down change at Manola delighted with your life and um, it was lovely to come home and it was lovely to see her and I was in Dublin for two years Um, and then I left Dublin after two years I was floored like and just from working nights and continuously studying and I transferred to the IT in Sligo and I learned to drive um and I drove up and down to Sligo every day and finished out the last two years of the degree. So you'd saved all that money, you paid rent, saved for a car. Yeah. And put yourself on the road. Yeah. Working nights. Yeah. Jesus. That was, listen, you do what you need to do. Like, it was class. Do you yeah. know? Hang on, class. hang on now. There's a tractor going past there. Hello, <laughs> Belna. There's, there's slurry being put out here there today. Is. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm, I'm absolutely blown away by you. And I'm blown away by how you're able to talk about it because there's a lot of people in similar situations that wouldn't be able to talk about it out of kind of probably fear of bringing it up and fear of embarrassing their family Mm. and they're probably still stuck in that situation yeah and it's not easy what you're after saying I think when you own your story though you get to write the ending of it I've I've talked a lot about my life and you know, I'm asked through different mediums with regard to work, you know, how, how do you work as hard as you do? How did you build the business that you've built? How do you keep going? Where does your work ethic come from? Like it comes from my mom and dad. It does. Like I, I saw what they did. Um, you know, it was, it was a journey, but I'd never have embarrassment or, you know, if there's shame, it's not my shame to hold. You know, I, I understand why dad did what he did you know when you're growing up and you're going through that at a young age say even in national school and heading into first year yeah at that stage you probably don't realize what's going on you just think it's normal yeah do you remember looking back when you started realizing hang on there's something this isn't really normal now what's going on in my house I think I always felt a bit different and it's funny like when you work with the volume of people that I've worked with I think everyone actually thinks that they're a bit different um we all feel a little bit at some stage like we're on the outside. I did look at other families and I've had great chats with my friends that have been my friends since I was tiny. 
And we've talked about things like, you know, I said to one of my friends, geez, we thought he like, you know, we thought he had it made. Like they used to have the red sauce and the brown sauce in the chef glass bottles. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, these people are loaded. (laughs) (laughs) We used to have the St. Bernard squeezy bottle and like little things like that. And then my friend would be like, yeah, but we used to look at ye and we used to see this, you know. Everyone is constantly thinking the grass is greener somewhere else. Yeah. Sure, it never is like. Yeah, a friend of mine had a computer and broadband. Stop it. His dad worked in Aircom or it was Telecom Aaron back then. And sure, Jesus, we thought they were like oh millionaires. My. Yeah. They have to be millionaires. Yeah, there was one one family on our road that had a phone, like an actual phone, not, yeah. the, not the phone box. And <laughs> you know, we were like, oh my God, did they have a phone? It was we like, had a phone and mum's family were in Derry. And I don't know if she'd appreciate me saying this now. <laughs> But uh, we had to get a, we had to turn it into a payphone. Stop! Because <laughs> the bills were crazy at the end <laughs> of the month. coming in. So we had to start paying for phone calls out of our house. Oh my god! We got a little phone box in the and house. It's just, and now we walk around with phones like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? We take them so for granted. Forty euros a month and ring whoever you want and for as long as you with want. Yourself, yeah. yeah, I know. You'd be standing in a phone box waiting for a phone call. Yeah. Ring me at this time. Don't be late. Yeah. And I call know. cards and things like that. And the smell in them phone boxes. God almighty. Oh my God. How did we not need a tetanus <laughs> coming know, out? Do you know what? I was one, one year I saw a load of lads at Halloween. I wasn't friends with them. I don't know who they were. Don't ask me to name them. <laughs> they put a load of fireworks in a phone box. They did not. One Halloween. Yeah. They were right pups. And they let them all off. And I never seen anything like it. It must class phone box lifted off the ground there no was way. glass everywhere there was, there was no glass in them there was perspex the perspex in them. Yeah. yeah yeah oh it my just, god it was like something you'd see on the telly the Deadly. explosion that was inside this oh, thing yeah. and that's my memory of a phone box copy with the days yeah and now yeah. you see them and they're in cool places you know these trendy nightclubs and places have phone boxes and i'm like i remember them <laughs> and the smell was <laughs> Yeah, I can still remember it. Oh so my god. So what did you do then after Duns? After Duns, I finished the honours degree and did what everybody does. I sold me Honda Civic in the Duns car park and <laughs> I still remember the lad I was selling it to was like, Are you sure you want to sell that car? Because I was roaring crying. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. And he I was like, Yeah, take it, take it. And I went to Australia and Landed in Melbourne to live the dream and I was there about four months and I remember the phone rang and it was my brother and he said to me, are you sitting down? And I said, why? And he said, dad is dead. And my dad died at 58. Um, He had an aneurysm and he wasn't sick. He wasn't anything. It was amazing. One of the neighbours next door, dad used to always whistle or be singing or chatting to the birds and stuff and the neighbour next door noticed that the house was very quiet and Mam was working in the super value across the road and the neighbour went across and just said, look, I don't want to alarm you or anything, um, but I just, I haven't seen Sean in a while. And Mam went across and was knocking, 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 knocking and there was nothing. And she just said she got an awful feeling um, and they rang the guards and he had, he died in the sitting room on the floor. He took a pillow down off the couch and put it underneath his head. So he mustn't have been feeling great. Um, but yeah, and he was only 58. And I was the other side of the world. And I remember, I think it was 36 hours I had to fly to get back. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the feeling. Like the last time I saw him was at the gate at Super Value that leads out to the housing estate where we were from. Talking about nothing like. And he wasn't drinking. Um, and it's funny the things that stick with you. And 
we just chatted at the gate about nothing like and then I remember the time was coming closer and closer for me to go to Australia and I called up to say goodbye and he wasn't there and I called to a couple of the places that I thought he might have been because I knew he was on a binge and I couldn't find him and I was about 20, 21, 22, um, probably full attitude and I was like right well you know I'm gonna go if he's not here to say goodbye to me and I can still remember driving out of the estate and I never said goodbye and I never seen him again. And it's one of the things that has stayed with me. Like Kevin will even say it, my husband, I can't go to sleep on an angry word. I have to sort stuff out because, you know, it's, it's definitely a regret. I wish that I had taken the time to have found him that day. And I always worried that he was mad at me that for going without saying goodbye. Um... And it's such a daft story, but both of us suffer from psoriasis. And I was like, thanks, Dad. Of all the things you could have given me, you gave me psoriasis. <laughs> there you go. But he used to get this shampoo um, on the medical card from the doctor. And he used to get loads of it. It'd be on a repeat prescription. And Was it the red gel? Yeah. yeah. The smell of that. Yeah. Oh, of course you'd be single like. But yeah. anyways, <laughs> so he knew well. Yeah. But I remember when I came home and we had to clear out the house and everything after he had died. And I had this massive guilt and fear that he was cross at me. And I moved back the, the neck curtain in the kitchen. And there was four boxes of the shampoo and Tara was written on the top of it. So he kept them. And as daft as that sounds, for me, it meant that he wasn't mad at me. Like, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it meant so much to see the four bottles of that gammy shampoo. Um, and the next time I seen him, he was laid out in a funeral home. Jesus, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. That's fucking heartbreaking. Don't you go crying, I'll go Fuck crying. Hell no. <laughs> I'm not right. Yeah. He was class. And did you ever, did you, did you talk on the phone after you left Australia? No. So um, that, was, that was the end of it then? That was the end of it, yeah. And when you crossed at him? I was thick, yeah. You know when you're that age, yeah. you just think, oh, the world owes me everything and I'm so important. Um, yeah, I was. I was thinking, you know, how could you not be around for me to say goodbye? And now, like, you know, maturity in hindsight is a great thing. Like, I, do you know, I, I hit a bird once driving into work and I had to pull the car over, roared and cry. And I was like, to Kevin, his bird family, he won't come home. He was like, just get back into the car, you lunatic. <laughs> like, it definitely <gasps> changed me. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely changed me. Ah, uh, he was class, hey. You it's, know, it's funny you should say that. I hit a bird this morning. On the oh my god, his bird long. family. <laughs> I'm not right for the day. Well, I now it's not just me. And the fellow beside me in the passenger seat, all you could hear was this thump. Oh no! And he goes, he looked up from his phone. He goes, "What was that?" And I said, "It was a bird." Oh no! And the first thing I did, I looked down to speedo, and I was doing 98 kilometers. And oh, I said, "Stop it!" Do you think he's dead? <laughs> He's just shook. I'm pretty sure he's dead at 100 kilometres an hour. But you wouldn't be right for the day. No, I can't. I can't. Yeah, it definitely, that was one of my big regrets. Yeah. And it changed me. It really did, like how fragile life can be. You're so right, though, like how lovely that was and all that he was going through. Mm. But he still had time to think about his Tara and leave the boxes of shampoo there for I him. know. And I know it sounds daft, like, but just... But he's an absolute gentleman behind it all. He was a legend. And you know what's mad? I don't know if you believe in these kind of things, but I put a note in his pocket. Um, I just said, you know, that I was sorry and I forgave him for everything that had happened. I needed to write that down. And I 
went in, you know, you kind of get a bit of time in McGowan's. I remember knocking at the door. I, I don't know if you've ever met David McGowan. He's yeah. the coolest man. Legend. Legend. And I knocked at the door and I was like, uh, how's things? Uh, can I talk to my dad? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, no bother. You know, oh, he's he, just laid out in yeah. there. But I snuck a note into his pocket and I went to a fortune teller about two or three years later. And she said to me, oh, there's a man after coming through. And she said, oh, it's your dad. And she said, oh, he wants you to know that he got his, he got your note. No way. And I nearly fell off the chair because nobody knew that I did that. Nobody knew that I did it. Like, I was afraid of my life touching him. He was laid out in a suit. And I remember thinking, oh, Dad, please don't wake up or do anything <laughs> gammy like in them Stephen King films. <laughs> so he didn't obviously move. But I, yeah, I snuck the, the note into the jacket pocket inside. And when she said that to you, did you explode? I did sure I was oh, an emotional shamble sitting across in the poor woman. Um but it meant so much. You got that closure. Yeah. Yeah, it was a huge thing to get the closure. Yeah. Wow. I know. <laughs> I, I, w- I wouldn't have normally believed in that kind of stuff, but a few years ago my uncle passed away. Uh, my cousin was very sick, he was only thirteen at the time and he had cancer. And my uncle in Derry, uh, Martin, he just was a legend and he just kept the whole family together the whole Macrossan family and when Caelan was sick Caelan was in Belfast and he he only had a few weeks left to live and Martin was going over and back and over and back to him and mm. the new PlayStation came out and Caelan got it and the new yeah. jersey came out and Caelan got it and he was getting messages from players all over the world and doing everything you could to fulfill his last few weeks you know oh my god and one morning he was the type of man he'd get up and he'd go for a swim and uh, I believe he went for a swim one morning and he was driving back to the house and he had a stroke. Oh, Alan. And me and my brother got into the car and we went to Belfast and he was in the hospital in Belfast and we went in and my cousin was getting married at the time, his daughter, and he was lying in the bed and he said, uh, I hadn't sent back the invite because um, I didn't know if I was going to the, the wedding or not. And he sat up in bed and he said to me, are you going to the wedding or not? And I said, uh, I am, yeah, I am, relax. And he goes, well, are you going to be bringing somebody? And I said, sure, I'll bring mum. Don't be worrying about that. I'll bring mum. Is that good enough? Mm. And he said, good enough. And that was grand. And we left the hospital. And the next day he passed away. Oh. And then two weeks later, Caelan passed away. Oh, my God. Well, it mightn't have been two weeks. I can't remember the timeline, but I remember it. It's all a, it's all a slight blur now because it was just so tragic. But the two of them passed away in, in very close succession but I don't know if that's the right word either but I remember um Caelan's dad telling me I've Caelan's medals Caelan's dad gave me his medals have you yeah well they're gorgeous so sometimes when I'm on Instagram people say oh the chain is like your man from normal Aww. people and they start taking the piss out of it yeah but they're very they're very special to me and I feel like he's he's you know he's looking out for me but his dad was telling me the time he was in the the hospital and he was passing he was sitting at the edge of the bed and he said to him, Dad, will you, will you get up and let him sit down? And there was nobody in the room. Oh, wow. And he passed. I love that. And we think Martin came in. Oh, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not allowed to get up and give you a cuddle. You're over there with headphones and microphones and everything. <laughs> I'm looking at the door now. Yeah, fluke. You, you yeah. said to me, sit in that seat because you need to look at the door to oh, escape. But stop. where I'm going with that is a few months later, I was a bit lost and whatever, and I went to a fortune teller. Mm. And I went in and I said, I don't believe in these fortune tellers. And somebody told me to go to her. And I went in and she, you know, she'd be asking you questions and you go, yeah, no, (laughs) 
I don't know. Tell them nothing. You tell me. <laughs> yeah. And she said to me, she said, you have two angels on mm. your shoulders. You have a young, sh- you have a young angel on your right and an older show and an older angel on your oh, left. Oh my God. Yeah. How did she know that? Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, I firmly believe. And I know it's probably loads of people listening thinking it's demented, but sometimes it gives you comfort. Sometimes it gives you hope. Sometimes it gives you a direction if you're feeling lost. I think you just, you do you in this yeah. world. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes, you know, when I'm struggling, I do, I just look at my shoulders like, mm-hmm. and I do say, you know, the, the lads will get me through it. <laughs> oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah. But there's such a sense of peace that comes from it, isn't there? Ah, yeah. I definitely believe in something. And then uh, they were clearing out Martin's office. And I, and I wouldn't have been that close with Martin because, you know, I was only a young skitter at the time. But every time he came down, he'd be giving you money and he'd be, he'd be like, you could ask Martin, Martin, is there any chance you could get me to meet Joe Biden? He would go out of his way to get Joe Biden to meet you no matter what. He would move mountains. And they were clearing out his office a couple of years ago, and not even that long ago. Didn't they find a newspaper cutting yeah. of when I started in Midwest back in 2002 or 2003? he had kept. And it was just a little newspaper cutting. Ah, uh, stop. And he had kept it in his drawer. And I don't even think we have it in our house. Oh, God. <laughs> Isn't know? the world filled with the most magical people, though? Ah, yeah. Like, that's... it's. That's what it's all about. Yeah. That's the one thing it has taught me. Like losing mom and dad, it has changed. Like it, it just changes the way that you walk through the world. And it, even his daughter said to me, I was up in Derry a few months ago and she says to me, you're always going, you know? And I said, oh, sure, look at you have to keep going. And she said, you remind me an awful lot of dad. And it's probably the best compliment I've ever been given. Alan. Do you know? Yeah. To be reminded of such a legend. It, it, shapes your heart a different way or something doesn't yeah. it yeah. to know that you remind people of someone like yeah. that you carry yourself different in the world it's very hard to put words on it to know as well that he kept that little piece of paper belonged to you you must have been really important to him but you don't think at the time you think sure he doesn't give a shy. <laughs> he did do you know like if you think you of the effort th- it would have had to he had to buy the paper he had to find the page he had to cut it out yeah like, that all takes time and effort and energy. It was I in the Connacht Telegraph. Or how did he get it in Derry? There you go. My God, he went to such lengths <laughs> to get it. We've no idea how he got it. Yeah. You were, you had a special place in his heart. Yeah, yeah. Didn't you? Fucking hell. So how much do I owe you now for that? <laughs> 40,000 euro. Could you imagine? Yeah, can I, can I check in next yeah, to, uh, I Wednesday Do you take butter vouchers? <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, wasn't Dunn's great as well? You know, oh Dunn's Dun get such a bad rep. I worked in Dunn's when I was 17 doing the trolleys. Yeah, they wouldn't did ha- you? They wouldn't have me in the shop. Stop it. The manager hated me. There was two managers. The the store manager hated me. And then there was the, the assistant manager. And he didn't really want to like me, but he did. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah. I think the store manager was telling him that Clark fella is useless. He's up to, you know, I was always looking for the crack. Like, yeah. We'd be, the, you know, the big, huge 2kg boxes of cornflakes. I do. Like we'd do, we'd do the shop walk. Did you do the shop walk at yes, night time? Yes, you'd be killed stone dead if it was bad. Yeah. So you face off the shop yes. and we do the shop walk. Yeah. I face off my cupboards now at home. If anyone's listening. Remember <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a bad day. I open the fridge and face it off. Well, some, <laughs> ni- some nights, some nights I'd be hiding in behind the cornflakes. Because oh, I'd be so small, but the shelf was so big because there were the big boxes. Oh my God. And I'd land out from behind the cornflakes. 
and I'm everyone looking to go home. I'm wondering why nobody found it funny. Oh yeah, you were that <laughs> you were that sick nurse. I was that <laughs> up our Check the rosters, your man on. Oh no. <laughs> we used to have some of the lads. We used to have containers of paperware, you know, all the toilet oh, rolls. Yeah. And the boys would be hanging on a Saturday morning and they'd say Unconscious. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to bather the side of the container <laughs> with a brush if there was someone coming through the storeroom and then shoot up them with a 14 pack of Andrex immaculate, you know, or just getting a list. But you know, it was like a rite of passage. Like but, I learned so much about myself. I yeah. learned whether I liked it or not. I learned so much about life. Oh, Jesus, it was brilliant. And, and the responsibility of being on time. If you were five minutes late in Duns, you were docked 15 dead. minutes or half an hour. Yeah. And you weren't spoken to for a week. No, and if you were a rubbish worker, you got all the gammy hours as well. Like, if you wanted the decent hours to have some sort of a life, yeah. you needed to work. You needed to be in with the boss. Yeah. There was yeah. this time, I remember, they put me in a box. There was a big, huge box. It must have been like a, a box for the toilet <laughs> roll or something. And we had this store. We had this thing. Here, get into the box and we'll uh, tow you around the shop on oh the pallet truck. Jesus. And I thought, this would be great crack. I'll be going around the store inside the box on the pallet truck and no one will know I'm in the box. Oh my God, what happened? They just left me out in the middle of the floor. Ah, stop it. <laughs> oh no, were you in there for long? They brought me over in front of the deli and dropped the pallet and went. Stop. So I was taped inside this box in front of the deli. Ah, uh, no. For about an hour. Oh my God. Just afraid, afraid to get out. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, I had to burst me way out of the <laughs> box. <laughs> were you able to get out? I did, of course. But can oh you imagine the customers, right, watching this box oh, wiggling? stop it. <laughs> And then one of the staff members climbing out of it. Oh, God. And walking away. Just oh. pretending like everything was fine. Is yeah. it any wonder Absolutely. they had me out doing the trolleys? No, that they could they could have moved you a bit further away from the door. <laughs> I was on, they used to call it hygiene. Oh, yeah. You were the person with the brush. I was on hygiene. Ah, God. And you. then... Uh, <laughs> Did you ever get called in for the spillages? Oh, you Someone had burst a three litre of milk at, you know, 10 to 9 on a Friday <laughs> evening and you're ready to lose the will to live. Hygiene, aisle number two. <laughs> hygiene. And you're like, oh. I used to love that. In Super Value, when you get to use the microphone, we used to to do the ping pong. Flight EI-577 is now leaving through gate number four. I put the Christmas songs on in June once and everyone thought they were losing the plot. (laughs) Mariah Carey, flat out in the middle of June. All the customers were like, all Africa. (laughs) It was so funny. We had a name for the security guard as well. Oh, God. Our security guard was female, but I can't remember. We used to call... It's like Mr. Bojangles or something oh mad. Anyway, I was like Mr. Bojangles to aisle three, and that oh meant yeah. we thought somebody was stealing oh in aisle God, three. Oh God! Yeah. Oh my God! They probably still use that now. So <laughs> the, the thieves are all like, "If oh, you're ever yes, in Duns, if Bojangles, you're ever, if you're ever in Duns and Casper, <laughs> take the rashers out <laughs> of your jumper and put them back." And you hear them calling Mr. Bojangles. <laughs> you know Shit's going down. You're doomed. Somewhere shit is going oh down. Oh my God! But yeah, it does. Class. You know, I'd hate hearing these stories about hotels and and supermarkets, and you'd often hear, "Oh, I worked there." And it was a nightmare. No, I loved it. And the, you know the fact that they transferred you to Dublin and gave you that. Yeah, and then transferred me back, took me back into Balna again. And that's then, just epic. You don't hear these stories. No, no, no. I was told we don't do this. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, it was class. And then when I came back from Australia, no one does a funeral like Ireland do. And Mam was working in Super Value, and obviously for Dad's funeral, they landed over with the sandwiches and all the the good stuff. Yeah, the apple tarts and the bracks. And uh, John Maloney, your man that owns. Um, Super value up there in Ballina, such a, a gentleman. He said to me, come here, how's things? I hear you're skint. Do you need a few hours on checkouts? And dad was buried on the Wednesday and I started on checkouts on the Sunday evening. 
and I hadn't a clue what I was at. I remember it so clearly. Um, and I was probably on checkouts for about, I don't know, you know, you'd be kind of sideways for six months or so. And I remember you kind of slowly start to lift your head a bit in. And I, I asked him for the opportunity to just get me off the checkouts and see, because I had the experience with Dunn's, I had the honours degree and I just asked him to give me a chance. Um, and God bless him and all belong to him. He did. And I ended up climbing the ladder in Super Value when I got to the top and I was on a management team of three. We had about 42 staff um, and I was there for nine years. Wow. Yeah, it was brilliant. And what were you doing in Dunn's then? You weren't on the tills and duns. I was on the shop floor. In the grocery? In the grocery, yeah. yeah. We uh, usually pack in uh, peas and beans aisle. Oh, that's um, the easiest aisle. Oh, do you ever have to face off the jam? Oh, you just throw in the, sh- the whole case peas of peas and beans. Peas and beans was the business, yeah, but jam was on my aisle as well. And I remember if you have to face <laughs> off the jam, like one jar goes the whole lot. It's like dominoes. <laughs> You're up and ape, your nerves are shot. <laughs> so I was in duns when I was doing all of the kind of school and college. And then after Australia, I started with Super Value. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a brilliant story. It's a good one, yeah. Yeah. And then how did you go from Super Value then into being a life coach? I met my husband along the way and got engaged and got married. And then I had my son, Kai, in 2015. Um, And more than you saying there in the beginning of our chat about, you know, responsibility, I had never stopped going. Like I was boom, 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 knock it out of the park, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Mm. And when I was on maternity leave, excuse me, that was the first time that I stopped. Genuinely, I stopped and I was like, what am I doing with my life? And I'm after bringing this tiny little human into the world. And what type of a mother do I want to be? Like all your values change as we move through the chapters of life. And I think sometimes we still try and live aligned with the old ones and it's very difficult. Um... And I stopped and really started thinking about it. And I knew that the undercurrent in retail had always been people. Like I did all the recruitment and selection and the training and all that kind of stuff with SuperValue. And I just had a fascination for people. And I knew that my work-life balance needed to change once I had had Kai and I needed to look at other avenues. So I started to explore. It's the, the only way I can say it. I was following a feeling. I wasn't following, I didn't know what a life coach was. I wasn't following a a title or anything like that I was following a feeling and the feeling that I was searching for was I wanted to be passionate about what I did I wanted to love coming to work every day I wanted to feel a sense of freedom you know in terms of time flexibility and also creativity within the work that I did and I wanted to make a difference in the world and when I was up um, at night feeding Kai I would research courses and I did online courses in digital marketing I did health and fitness I was just searching 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 um, I did a load of them. I did food safety, food safety auditing. I was thinking maybe I could be... Hassop. Hassop. I was like, maybe I could be one of those EHO people oh, where you, yeah. they walk into the shop and everyone turns a wider shade of pale. You pull a thermometer out you of your arse. sweating. <laughs> Check that lasagna quick. What date is that ham? Like, I was like, maybe I could be one of those power tripping. And yeah, so I did loads of stuff. And I remember then I did a train the trainer in Dublin. I was like, right. I have the honours degree. I love the people stuff. Maybe I could do training. And on that course, I met a life coach. They did that icebreaker thing around the room that everybody hates. They do that thing. We're just going to go around the room now and everyone say, why you're here? And everyone's like, why did I do this course? I know. And the last man at the table was a coach. And I went up at the tea break and I just said to him, listen, sorry to be so completely ignorant. What do you do? And he started explaining it. And I always say it was like a light went on in my head and in my heart. I remember thinking, 
oh my God. And I said to him, and do you get paid for this? <laughs> he was like, yes, Tara. And I went back as every excellent student does under the table after the tea break, Googling life coaching, how to become a coach. And in Ireland, it wasn't big, to be honest with you. Back in 2017, when I started training, um, 2016, 2017, it wasn't a thing. No, it, Nobody knew what I was doing. So I started training and I remember the very first day with the ILI and I always say I felt like I came home. I will never forget the feeling in that room when they started talking. I couldn't believe that this was a thing and that I was maybe going to get to do it. And I threw the kitchen sink at my training. I worked so hard on that course and I qualified on a Sunday and I took my first client Monday morning in the hotel in Enniscrone with my two knees knocking under a big mahogany table and the girl was none the wiser. Um, and I remember coming out after the session going, I'm never doing that again. That was brutal. And she sent me a message that evening saying, oh my God, that session made such a difference. I can't believe how different I feel. And I remember thinking, oh God, maybe I, maybe I could do this. Yeah. Um, and that was the beginning of it. And it went, I trained and trained. I went every course that the Irish Life Coach Institute put on, I did in terms of additional learning. Um, and then I went on with the Neurolinguistics Institute of Ireland and I did a practitioner course and a master practitioner in neurolinguistics, which is all around command centers in the brain and the way that language affects how we think, feel, act and behave and kind of, you know, results in your experience of life. And that was incredible. So I did the two courses with the lads um, and I've continuously learned and grown and learned and grown to be in a position to do the best work that I can do for the people that decide to sit in front of me. I know from working with, I've been lucky enough, touch the wood, <laughs> to work yeah. with thousands of people over the last five years. And it's insane what people are capable of. Once you have the skill set to be able to help them to navigate whatever it is that they're trying to navigate, um, it's incredible. It really is. What do you think is is people's biggest barrier when coming to talk to you? How do they... How judgment. Do they're usually afraid of the judgment. Afraid of what people will think. Afraid of what I'll think or afraid of having to say stuff out loud or being vulnerable is very scary. To sit in front of someone and say that you're afraid of something or to cry. And I always say to people like every single person that sits in front of me, whether it's, you know, on Zoom, I'm lucky enough to work with people across five continents or sitting here, every single one of them cries. It's, I cried. You cried. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's okay it's to cry. the coolest thing. Like we all walk through the world wearing masks. We were wearing them for COVID, yeah. but we, we wear masks constantly in our lives. Oh yeah. And it is the coolest thing to actually meet a person. Like usually when someone sits in front of me, the first 20 minutes, the mask is on and I'll ask one question and the tears will come. And I, I nearly feel like saying it's class to meet you. Like I really get to meet them. Mm. It's, um, it's a very special space to hold with a person when they'll allow you to see them in that kind of a, a light. I'm not in any way a life coach or anything. I, I have no idea what, you know, how, how difficult it is. But I remember speaking to Fabu D a few weeks ago. This, yeah. And I remember the minute he took off the mask. Yeah. And I remember that kind of realization halfway through the interview going, oh. I'm after meeting David now. I know. This is David. Yeah. And I don't think many people get to meet him. How cool is that? Now he was saying... Oh no, I'm the same. I'm the same all the time. But I knew... There was a difference. There was a difference here now in the person that I'm talking to now and the person I started talking to half an hour ago. People are so afraid of doing that, you know. They're so afraid. Like one of the biggest fears all humans have is rejection. We're terrified because 
in tribal times, you know, we all landed into the world in tribes. If you were kicked out of the tribe, there was a good chance you were going to die. And your brain has one job and it's to keep you alive. That's it. So we strive for acceptance. That's why social media platforms are thriving because we all need the likes and the whatever it is. Humans turn themselves inside out to be accepted because if we feel like we're part of something, it's ingrained in our systems. It's ingrained in our brains that once we're accepted, there's a better chance of survival. Nobody likes to be the person on the outside. It freaks people out. Anything to do with isolation. Like that's why prisons exist. You know, they take us away from each other. And if you really want to torture someone, you put them into solitary confinement. We're supposed to be together. That's how we thrive. That's how we survive. Mother Nature is very clever in what she does. Um, and I think COVID for a lot of people, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of people was that isolation piece and having to stay away. It was huge. You must get great fulfillment from your job. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Like to be in a position and have the skill set to hold the, the space with someone to allow them to get to that place. And the training is one thing. And, you know, I'm sometimes asked this as well. I believe that as a result of my childhood and and you know, you never, I'm never going to thank the trauma, okay? But I thank the resilience that I built as a result of the trauma. I can read people really fast because I had to learn to read people really fast when I was small. And I can tell the difference in the way somebody breathes, in the way that their tone of voice will change. Energetically, I think even if I had my eyes closed, I know when something isn't right. Just as a result of experience in the past and from a coaching perspective to sit in a space with someone I'll know what's happening for you fairly quick even you know your body is going to start telling me things your body will tell me things that your mouth is not going to tell me for 10 minutes or 20 minutes into the session but I'll feel them and you can see them sometimes even in the way a person walks and the way that they carry themselves or a physical manifestation in their body like a pain in their back or a tightness in their shoulders I would often say you know if your body could talk to me what would it say what are you actually carrying I'm thinking, poor old Kevin must get away with nothing. Poor Kevin. <laughs> he that must man, get away with nothing. It's so funny. <laughs> he just is the coolest person. He just loves me. I've never had someone... Sure, why wouldn't he? I know, but I've never had someone love me like he does. I don't know, it's so, it sounds pure cheesy. Like He has the purest heart. I, I can't believe I was lucky enough to find him. But sure, what's not to love? I don't even know you that well and I love you. <laughs> I love watching you and I just love, I just, I, you're so easy to watch and so easy to listen to. Thanks. Yeah. That's awful sound. Yeah, why would you be so surprised at that? But it just, because I think, because I really admire him. Like he's, he's a very cool man. Um, the last five years, and it was stalking the Instagram, he graduated there with a 1-1 in mechatronic engineering and we embarked on the journey, the two of us together about five years ago. We mechatronic to, engineering. Yeah, he always wanted to be an engineer. It sounds like Chandler's job in Friends. Seriously, doesn't no, it? Nobody knows what Every it is. Every time I'd have to put it up, you know, when he'd get a result in his exam, I'd have to Google how to spell it. <laughs> I'm like, what is it again? But yeah, and we said, the two of us sat down, um, Kai was only small, and we, he was like, look, you know, he, I remember him saying it to me, we were together 12 years now, and he said he always wanted to do it. Yeah. And I was like, sure, do it. Don't, you know, and... Anyone that's listening that has someone that has gone back to study, like, I salute you. 
God, like the last five years, especially the last two, you know, it was literally like you bring him in the dinner at the laptop, take away the plate. You know, it was just, it was so intense. He's lucky to have that support. I listen, it's class. And if they don't give me a degree in October when he graduates, I'm I'm going up on the stage. I want one. (laughs) (laughs) I need to get one for support. There needs to be a wifey award. Yeah. Yeah. Can I please have one? Thank you. And I presume then you have an unbelievable relationship with Kai. Ah, he's class. He's such a cool little human. Um, Is he daddy's boy or mammy's boy? He's a bit of both, actually. Is he? Yeah, he is. Now, there's days he drive you daft. Like, <laughs> and I'd be like, you know, he's throwing himself on the ground a little because I won't get him something. And I'm like, your mother is the life coach of the year. I'm supposed to know what to do. Get up. Or I'd be roaring at him. And then I'd be thinking the neighbors are like, the navigation coach is in there losing the yeah. way to live. Well, she can't even control her yeah, own son. Yeah, who would be going she's to her? A, she's a con. I am normal. <laughs> None of us know what we're doing. We're all winging it. But he's like, he has taught me so much. Without even realising it, like he, he's just, he's six now. And I think six is such a cool little age. Like we were in town today and he'd robbed your phone now listening to Spotify. And he's like, mum, listen to this band. And, you know, it goes from like the Beatles he put on for me today. Wow. I was like, legend. Yeah. And then he put on Kings of Leon. And then he put on The Killers. And then he put on Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol. <laughs> I was like, all right. We're in between the genres. But he's just deadly. Like but you blaring music in the house is going to have such an effect on him I because know. my mum would used to blare Elvis the whole time. Stop. Yeah. Mam uh, loved Joe Dolan. All right. Oh my God, obsessed with Joe. Yeah. Dad hated the sight of him, then bet with the jealousy. It's the same in my house. Bet with the jealousy. We've gone through more <laughs> radios. I'd say Dad was hopping them <laughs> off the walls and breaking the speakers and mum would be blaring Elvis. Yeah. We oh. had Elvis morning, noon and night. I have to say Joe was deadly. Like we played a bit of Joe at her funeral. I remember actually... Um, probably about seven or eight months before she died she was a woman of few words when it came to the morbid stuff like she was always deadly and I was in the room with her and she said uh, at home and she said open the doors of that wardrobe there and she was bed bound for a lot of her life at the end she had a, a progressive lung disease called COPD and she was oxygen dependent at the end for a long time and uh, she said open the doors of the wardrobe there and she said see that blue outfit that I wore to your wedding that's my favourite outfit. Now, close them doors. And I knew that that was her way of saying, "Right, that's the outfit. And she said to me then, I'd never forget it. There was a pair of kind of cream shoes underneath it. And she said to me, and do you see them shoes? I love them shoes. And don't you dare put me into a box without any shoes. If you think I'm walking around heaven and meeting Joe Dolan with no <laughs> shoes. <laughs> She was firmly convinced she was going to meet Joe Rowland. So I remember going to David McGowan with the outfit and he was like looking at me. I was like, she insisted on the shoes. <laughs> he was like, where are you going with the shoes? And I was like, David, I was told she can't meet Joe Dolan in her feet. Yeah. So he was like, I get it. So we made sure that she had the shoes. <laughs> and how were things with your mom then at, at the end? I don't want to go into too much detail yeah. because it's, no, it's, it's, okay. it's difficult. Like, But uh, how are things there? At the end... Um, it was so hard. It was so hard to watch. Like Kai was born um, in 2015 and it was a bit mad. I don't know if anyone listening has a thing with numbers, but my dad left the world um, on the 15th of October 2005. So it's 15.10.05 and Kai came into the world on the same date in reverse. 5.10.15. Nuts. Um, 
so when Kai was born, Mam's illness, it just took on a whole other dimension is the only way I can describe it. She became so dependent. And I remember feeling the pull like of, you know, your your role as a new mother and your role as a daughter to a parent that is so dependent on you. I found that so hard, constantly feeling like I was doing everything wrong. Um, it was really difficult. And I remember, you know, mam and dad, mam had lost um, brothers and sisters to cancer. And I remember palliative care been brought in at several stages throughout their illnesses. And mam always had an association with palliative care and that that meant you were going to die. And now no one, after all my training, I realize now what I had done. But anyway, I knew when palliative care, when it was time for them to come on board, that if she heard that that's who it was, that she'd throw in the towel. Yeah. And I remember meeting the team. Um, and like, you know, when I think back and I'm, I said to them, nobody comes into the house with anything on it that says anything that relates to palliative care. No landlord, no lanyards, the things they wear around their necks, no biros, no clipboards. I said, you call yourselves the pain management team. And I could see, you know, they were all like, okay, you could definitely see one person writing down daughter psychopath. <laughs> like, <laughs> but they, they did it. And she lived for so much longer than the, anyone expected her to live. Like I remember being told by a consultant in um, Castlebar Hospital that they gave her two years and she lived for six. Wow. And uh, we constantly kept telling her, you know, that she was, she was grand and everyone else had that flu, ma'am, and it's just a chest infection. And the power of the mind over the body was incredible. Yeah. Um, and toward the end, like I knew toward the end that, you know, I was keeping her for selfish reasons. I was so afraid of her dying. And it was incredible toward the end. Like she, the last, it was around Christmas time. She died on the 28th of December. And I remember um, she was determined to get out home for Christmas and we put up the tree and all the bits. And I was, I was staying over, mis myself and my brother cared for her for the last definitely two years of her life, but it just became more and more intense. And... I can still remember being in the house and I knew that her breathing wasn't great. And as I said, she was fully oxygen dependent and I had got the doctor at about three o'clock in the day and I was staying this night and I heard her calling me at about 11 o'clock. Um, and I remember going into her and I knew by the look of her that her saturation levels for her oxygen was very, very low. She was very lethargic, you know, not very, not talking a lot to me. And I remember saying to me, you know, I'll be okay. And I, I always was the strong one, always like, and I said to her, ma'am, please don't make me do this by myself. Whatever it was, I just had a feeling. And she said, okay, I can still see her saying, okay. And I rang the ambulance and I've driven that road a million times. Like, you know, the nurses in Sea Ward in Castlebar knew us by first name. Like I used to go to the shop in, in the hospital and they'd go, uh, which ward do you work on? <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I just kind of live here. And I remember driving up the road behind the ambulance that night. It's so funny, like I can still see the, the ambulance turned on the lights and I can still see the flash of the blue in the night sky as I was driving behind her. And something in me knew that that was the last time. And we had done this hundreds of times. And we got to the hospital and they said to us that she was in um, respiratory failure. This was the second time that it had happened. And 
she was in a ward initially. And I mean, they're the most incredible humans up there. I will never, ever forget how nice they were to us. And I remember after Christmas, um, St. Stephen's Day, I was at home and I just, I had left the hospital at three o'clock in the morning. And I got home and I kind of put my head down. And at seven o'clock, I just said to Kevin, I, I need to go back. And he said to me, you just left. And she was sound. And I said, I just, I need to go back. And I went back and I knew the minute I got to the hospital that things weren't good. And that was on the St. Stephen's Day. That was the 26th. Um, and they had moved, they moved her into a private room. All her brothers and sisters came and my cousins and they all sang songs and said prayers and they're the coolest family. Like I'm blessed with the people that I I come from. Um, and I remember about four o'clock in the morning on the 28th of December and her breathing had changed significantly. And I had held on to her for so long, you know, telling her that these people were pain management teams and it was just a chest infection and I kept her alive for so long. But she was in pain. I knew she was in pain. And I remember I lied up on the pillow beside her in the hospital and I can still see her little facing and I just said to her you know ma'am this will probably be the last chat that we have and I want you to know how proud of you that I am and it's probably not nearly as scary as you thought it was going to be and I said I'm sure there's a load of people there to meet you and after keeping her alive for four years longer than I bloody should have I said to her you know you head off there whenever you're ready and she died 20 minutes later it was incredible I don't know did she need me to say it was okay to go but it was a it was a magical heartbreaking moment I'll never forget it and it's a strange feeling if there's anyone listening to lose both your parents like I remember when dad died I still kind of felt like a boat a little bit tethered to the shore but when both of them are gone it's the strangest feeling it doesn't matter how many siblings you have it's the strangest feeling. And grief is a funny thing. And um, I listened to your friend David speak about his dad. It's a different beast for everyone. Like the, the way that I handled grief and the way that my brother handled it were two completely different things. And on the day I was having a good day, he'd have a bad day. And it comes out of nowhere, you know. And, and for me, it was never on the birthdays or the Mother's Days. It was random Tuesdays when you'd be in pennies and you'd go to pick up a jumper that you'd know she'd like and you'd have to walk over and put it back down. It was a massive catalyst for change in my life. Um, I'd say you have no regrets with your mum. No. Isn't that a lovely thing? I have such a sense of peace. Like there was nothing else I could have done. That's lovely. Nothing. Like I remember I used to Google all the medications. Anytime her medications were changed, the Lord save us. I remember one day she was, myself and my brother counted it. She was on 41 tablets a day. I was like, how is this possible? And me afraid to take two paracetamol. Like, <laughs> you'd be afraid you'll overdose on two neurofen. Um, and I remember learning all the contraindications of the medication and, and everything. It's like when I would go into the hospital, I'd always take the chart off the bottom of the bed. It's probably illegal. Sorry for any medical people. But I'd read it and I'd always know what her sats were and I'd know where her blood pressure was at and I'd know if they'd changed any meds and I'd know. And the amount of times that someone would say to me, and sorry, which hospital are you a consultant in? And I'd say, no, no, I work in Super Value. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my ma'am I and you do the, what you need to do for your ma'am. Yeah, I was on the peas and beans and yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I, got, I got you, I got you. But I, yeah, I did. You might have mentioned it already. What was your mum's name? Irene. Irene. Yeah, my dad's name was Sean. Lovely. Legends. Yeah, honest to God, you couldn't have come from two finer people. Like, um, I love the two of them. And 
Yeah, they're definitely not gone far. How the feck are we going to upload this onto Spotify? Oh, sorry. Huh? This is, <laughs> this is devastating. I'm not, I don't know how I'll drive home, Tara. <laughs> I might have to stay the night here. I'll, does this seat pull out into a bed? <laughs> Stop. I, I, admire, like, I admire you so much and everyone I talk to on a podcast I admire, but I have to say, you're definitely the strongest person I've ever met. Oh God, that's a big compliment. I don't feel strong. Do you not? No. Why no. not? Sometimes it, it's always around losing people that I love. I feel the weakest. Like I see Kai now moving through the world and he's just like he's going to do the most incredible, amazing things just by being in the world. Mm. That frightens me. I think, you know, if you were to ask me, what am I afraid of? It doesn't frighten me to push the business. It doesn't frighten me to dream up products and launch them and... It frightens me to think about losing the people that I love. Because it's so final. It's so final. Like I remember doing the dress rehearsals in my head of what it would be like to lose ma'am. Nothing prepares you for it when it happens. So moving forward, I know I'd get through it like, but yeah, it frightened, that frightens me. And that makes me feel weak. Like I'm strong in lots of other areas of my life, but that would frighten me. It's amazing to sit here and hear you talking about that because I'm sitting here thinking wow she's so amazing she's so strong (laughs) and she's just mighty and that she doesn't really have any weaknesses oh god yeah loads but you do loads you're just like everybody else I'm exactly the same as everybody else even with all the training all the books I still feel like I'm not enough in so many areas I doubt myself as a mother as a wife as a sister as a friend like I've learned to accept myself and and become very comfortable in the person that I am but I think my work has taught me as well of all the people that I've worked with and you know really proud to say I've worked with people from the top in their field all of us feel like we're not enough in some capacity all of us feel like we're not enough and it's the thing that holds us back and floors us and keeps us awake at night and puts the butterflies in your tummy but I think knowing that we're all the same makes it different Mm. like no one has their shit together No one. None of us know what we're doing. Every one of us is winging it. Do you remember when I came in here at Christmas and I dropped off the bottle of... I do. I was so proud of you. Did I was thinking since, when I left that evening, you must have been like, geez, that fella's fit to drop. (laughs) Why? Because I was so stressed. You were. I was a ball of feckin' nerves. You were. Did you think anything like that? or? I just remember thinking you were a great bit of stuff. Like, I remember launching the Compass the first time I did it. It's terrifying and I, I sent you that poem the arena yeah and it, to, to put yourself out there like that is very scary and to pour your heart into something but I remember coming in here and it's the first time I was here and I just said I wanted to drop this off to you because you were very good to me and you always sent me a message and you you, you always seemed to know when I needed the message <laughs> and I don't know how you did because we didn't know each other from Adam I know but I always got a message from you when I needed it most and I just said, I have to drop something off for Christmas. And I remember coming in here and you said to me, well, how would you get on? And sure, I didn't take a breath then for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> well, it was this and it was that. And then, he was that and, and then he was mean to me. And then this fellow wasn't there. And then I was over there. And then nobody was there. And then, uh, and then I was, you must have been like, whoa, I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> no, I'm not. Because that would have been me when I, I think everyone experiences the journey the same way. Okay. Do you know? Yeah. I do remember thinking, 
that fella is fit. you were you were running on all cylinders like yeah. you were flat out you were after been I don't know how many places before you came here to me <laughs> you were flat out I know flat out but oh, you did it, was it. Madness. you did it it was madness it was but you did it insane yeah there's a lot of learning when you what has been the highlight of your career as the life coach as the navigation coach oh my god the highlight of my career Oh, Jesus, there's been so many. I'm looking around here and there's awards. You have awards coming out your arse. Uh, there wouldn't be any of them. Look at this. Do you know what was Look class? Did you, did you do this on Photoshop? I did, yeah. The navigation. That was the Mayo Business Awards. Yeah, right. I was delighted. I was a finalist for that. Look Thread. at all the awards everywhere. I know, calm down. What's that one up there on the... That's Irish Life Coach of the Year. Oh, Irish Life Coach of the Year. Yeah, Look, that I'm, was a big one. I'm sitting here with the Irish Life that Coach of the Year. That was a big one. What year was that? 2018, I think. That's mega. So you're only out of the year. I was only new, yeah. Brand spanking you. Wow. Out of the... All the life coaches must have been like, what a the bitch. The cheek of her. Huh? Yeah, the cheek. Who, who and it is wasn't she? <laughs> who is Who's she? this upstart from <laughs> Ballina? I know. And it wasn't one of them things that your mother could vote for you either. Like you're, you had to present your portfolio of work and it went to an external that's panel of judges. That's a proper award. I swear to you. That's a lump of Dublin crystal there. Yeah. Yeah. And... Stunning. Is that the highlight? No. Jesus. I know, sorry. It's not. Sorry about that Lifetime Achievement Award. In the middle of COVID, when the (laughs) shit was hitting the van and the world was up the ape, um, I had friends that were in the medical world and I donated a load of life compasses um, to the emergency wards in Castlebar where Mam died and in Galway where my uncle Tony died. And I got a message off a consultant to tell me that the compass was being used in the handovers between the consultants and the doctors and the nurses and that they were recording their gratitudes and that it was keeping them going when the world was losing its mind and it absolutely floored me wow and I think that was the highlight to think that something that I had made was helping people that were making such a difference I I couldn't make a difference like that to think that it was a part of their day and she sent me on photographs of it where they had all written it in and it was there in the middle of a handover on a ward. I was blown away that that happened. We'll wrap this up now because I feel like I've I've uh, overstayed my welcome. But what is the um, what is the diary? That the you compass. Have, the compass that you have. It's the foundation produced. of all of the work that I do. So right. I believe that, you know, there's pillars that hold us up. First of all, yeah. are you offended when people call it a diary? No, it is a diary. Okay. Yeah. That's right, how, you, can call, you can call it whatever you like. Slap on the wrist. Yeah, no, don't be daft. Um, so, so what is it? It's a... It's a book. It's a diary. Mm-hmm. So there's, you can get a dated one or an undated one. The dated ones are gone. They sell out fast. And then the undated ones are there. Um, so it's... You set your goals for the year. Whatever they're going to be. Tangible or intangible. So it could be write a book or feel more accepting of myself. And then you chunk it down. It's the framework that I use with my clients. And then... You chunk it down and we look at what you need to focus on per month in order to make it happen. And then outside of the goal setting piece, I focus on the person because you are the one that runs the show. So there's tools on each day page that feed into each other that make sure that we mind you along the journey. So we're looking at your personal battery every morning. So if your phone is in the red, you're running for a charger. If we're on the red, we just keep going. Um, so you check your battery every morning and bring yourself into the present moment to see how you're feeling. We work on a gratitude log. We focus on your sleep. We look at your today's top threes, which is feeding from your chunked down goals into days. And then we look at your habits. So how we fuel in the body, hydrate in the body, movement, your mind. I had to put a phone into it 
in 2021 because people are just have lost all connection with themselves and the world. Um, and then you can use the center part of the page for journaling your thoughts and your feelings. And every client that I work with uses the compass. And it's honest to God, I know it's my own, but it's such a game changer. It's a lovely thing to sit down with every day. Yeah. Isn't it? And just yeah. uh, and escape. And it's just you with you. Like think you're, yeah. It's the biggest relationship you're ever going to have in your life. Is and do you, you sell them you. all year long? The undated ones, yeah, are there all year long. And then usually around kind of October, I launch the dated diary. Um, and when you say, you said we a lot there, all mm. the tips are in it. Yeah. We don't actually talk to you. No, you don't need to talk to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's in there. Everything yeah. is there. Yeah. And it tells you how to use it. It tells you how to use it and yeah, all the different bits and bobs are in it. Yeah. What's it's very simple. It takes you less than five minutes in the morning, less than five minutes in the evening. What's the name of your website? Thenavigationcoach.com. That's keep where you it, can get it. Keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes such a difference because I remember when I was going to talk to my lady, uh, I call her my lady. <laughs> That's how I kind of refer to her. But she was a game changer. She, she turned my life around. But I remember for weeks yeah. she was trying to get me to write stuff down. Really? And I couldn't, I wouldn't give into it. Because? I was probably afraid of what I'd write. Oh. Or I was probably afraid of, I, I don't know, like she was very patient. <clears throat> now people will probably say, oh, she only wanted your money. She didn't because she didn't charge me half the time. But I'd go in and she'd say to me, you know, and did you write anything down or did you, did you, did you write did you do your journaling or did you do your diary? And for months I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't. And were you afraid of you reading it or afraid of someone seeing it? What were you afraid of? Um, I was probably afraid of what would come out. You know, I was only dealing with the nows. Yeah. And I wasn't dealing with the what she wanted to get back to, mm. you know, from, a, from an earlier stage. Yeah. And... <clears throat> It took me a long, long time to get over, to get, to get to that. Yeah. I suppose I had a long time to, I was, you know, dealing with the nows and the girlfriends and the jobs and the being yeah. so lost that I couldn't even acknowledge what was going on at a younger age. Yeah. So, but I remember when you get to that and mm. when you do get to writing down, Jesus, it's a weight off your shoulders. It is. And it's the difference that makes the difference. Like yeah. the, the things that are in the way now are the stories that you began to tell yourself a long time ago. Hmm. And once you can realize and see them for what they are and recognize that that's not where you live anymore, you know, that's, that can never be you again. It changes it. What advice would you give to somebody that's a little bit lost at the moment in their life? Book a session with the navigator. Go to <laughs> Come here. I'm not messing. You, you will be snowed under. What would you, you do? What your phone next Monday or Tuesday is going to explode. I would say... Do I get commission, first of all? Oh, yeah. Lord. Can I get a discount code? You can, yeah. The, the, I have one. Navigator gives you a 10% off. There you go. Navigator. Yeah. Can I have my own one for, for therapy I'll sessions? I'll sort you out, yeah. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. You can pay me in lion's tea bags. <laughs> um, what would I say to them? I would yeah. say, if they're feeling lost, yeah, talk to somebody, first of all. Um... And the journaling stuff works, honest to God, like even if you're following a feeling, you know, even if you don't know what it is that you want to be doing or like, what would the very first step be? What would it feel like to be there, wherever there is? What would that feel like? What would you hear? What would you see? What would you hear people say to you? Like, just try and embody that version of yourself and then ask yourself, what is in the way? Like, what's stopping you from getting there? And what would the first step be to begin to move it? Whatever it is. Can I ask you a very specific question then? Yeah. If you're in a relationship, maybe you're married. Yeah. And your job is up in a heap. Yeah. 
And the last person you want to tell yeah. is your husband or your wife. Yeah. What do you do? Talk to a professional. Like so many of the people that I work with, you know, and I always make a point of making the distinction between counselling and psychotherapy and coaching. So many of the people that I work with go to counsellors and psychotherapists alongside this work. So for the coaching world, to a large degree, we work with, you know, present and future focused, whereas counselling and psychotherapy have a completely different skill set. I just finished um, a certificate actually with PCI in counselling and psychotherapy and I found it absolutely fascinating. Just to, I just wanted to see dip my toe into that world and see what it was like but talk to somebody a trained professional that knows what they're doing it makes all the difference there's a lot of people lost at the minute yeah there's a lot of people and, and they 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 send me messages and they send david messages and myself and david talk every day of the week and we were talking last night until the early hours of the morning and there's a lot of married couples afraid to talk to each other about their work and what are they afraid of uh, I don't know. I, I don't know, to be honest, but they, they must be afraid of disappointing the other one, mm. you know, where one of them might be in a very good job or what's seen as a very good job and, af- and afraid to go home and tell the partner, I don't want to do this anymore. And it might mean that we can't afford that holiday or it might mean we can't afford to upgrade the car or it yeah. might mean we're not going to the centre parks for two weeks. Mm. And they kind of live a lie then, yeah, you know, for so long. How long can you keep that up, though? And it just gets bigger and bigger and, at and bigger. And what cost, you know? How long could, could can you do that for? Like, honest to God, if anything, losing mum and dad as early as I did, I am so aware of time. Like, they're printing money every day of the week. They're not making any more time. What's the worst thing that could happen if you sat and spoke to your person? What is the worst thing that could happen? Yeah. Or who can you reach out to for support? You know, oftentimes it's that old school problem shared as a problem halved. Like you will have the conversation and then you look back and you'll realize it wasn't nearly as scary as you thought it was going to be. Or like sometimes we build up what we think the other person's going to say and sure it's nothing like that. So when someone loves you, at the end of the day, all that's important is that you're happy and that you're healthy. And there might be a reaction. Yeah. There might be an, an initial reaction and that's fine. Hmm. And they might need a bit of time. Yeah. But it'll, it'll come around. The dust usually settles. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, you're somebody stuff. <laughs> so I ha- are you. I had no idea. You said to me, have you any questions? And I oh, said, no. stop. My nerves were gone for the day. I was surprised at how nervous you were. Because I didn't know. Usually I'd have some inkling. You were like, well, I'll be grand. Make the tea. <laughs> 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 I, he was like, I said, do you have any notes? No. And then he takes out this yellow <laughs> notebook. Like, I don't know what. <sighs> How do you feel after talking about all that? Do you talk about that often? Yeah, I'm very comfortable talking about it. When's um, the last time you, you spoke like that about your mum and dad? Mum and dad, I did a talk for the graduates um, in the ILI. I'm usually invited back. It's a massive privilege to do it every year to just kind of tell my coaching journey. Um, but my life is a part of my coaching journey, so I, I happily talk about them. Um, do you be ti- are you tired now? No, it's very cathartic to talk about it. And to be honest, it's very, I feel very close to them when I talk about them, even saying their names yeah. and remembering different aspects of, of the journey. Um, it was hard and there was lots of, of crap bits, but like I've said several times throughout the conversation, they were the coolest people. Oh, someone's beeping. Uh, that, <laughs> Somebody. I'm double parked outside. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a bin truck now imagine? trying to get through. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, they were deadly. And I, I'm just sad that Kai 
didn't get to meet my dad first of all and hasn't got to spend more time with mam because they would have adored him like but they still do adore him. They do, just from a different place. And Irene and Sean are very, very proud of you. With the help of God, yeah. They are, of course. Oh, def- my mother's up there digging Jesus in the ribs. Like, some of the doors that open for me are nuts. Really? I have she's no... She's up there running heaven. Yeah, she's <laughs> in the shoes with Joe Dolan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but a million percent. Like, I, I have been blessed in my career. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've seen on your stories as well some crazy things. Like amazing. You Ama- open the drawer I, and just have a chat to her. And Oh, she's... she's. I make tea. Like, I here. know this sounds nuts, but I do make two mugs of tea. And I put the mug the other side and I'll tell her what's going on. Can I go in and have a chat with her? Yeah, no bother. She, she'd love <laughs> you. I'll tell you one she'd thing. She'd be thrilled. I'm so lost at the minute now. I could do it an hour in there. She'd probably she'd probably come down and give me a kick Poor up the arse. Ma'am. Oh my God, she wouldn't. She'd be brilliant. Anyone Tara, ever thank you so her. much. And I'm going to ask you one last thing. Okay. Will you talk to me again in about six months' time? Yeah, what's going to be different? What's going to be different is we've got all this out of the way. Yeah. And we've so much more to talk about. Okay, cool. Would you be okay with that? I'd be sound. <laughs> if anyone listens to this one, you'd be like, oh yeah, do you remember? I don't remember saying that. <laughs> I led it, I led it the last 30 seconds. Yeah, there. six months gone. Come here. Sorry for uh, taking up so much of your time. It was a pleasure. Thank we, you Kevin for Kevin will be wondering, me. where is she? I know I won't. I'm in peace. <laughs> someone analyzing him. <laughs> your website is thenavigationcoach.com. Yeah. Weren't you awful well to get that domain name? Oh, either? hey. She, honest, she's above digging Jesus in the ribs. I'm telling you. Yeah, I've been blessed. So many things have fallen into place. I can't get over it. Yeah, keep her lit. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Genuinely, thanks it's a yourself. big privilege to be asked. Will you stop? Sure, nobody, been nobody 80, listens to them anyway. 80, <laughs> Eighty-seven and a half percent famous and all that. Yeah, nobody actually downloads them. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks. Good luck. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award-winning manufacturer of factory-built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A-rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineer's fees. Please get in touch reviewing of our show homes a brochure or for more information let BRB Homes take the stress out of your build check out brbhomes.ie